Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Hey friends, welcome back. We've got a good one for you today. Father Jim Martin returns for like the third or fourth time. Uh, really like this guy a lot. Enjoyed this conversation. I think you will too. Uh, we were in his office and we had a little uh, uh, brief cameo from uh, Kirsten Powers who decided to jump in and say hello just for a second. So there's a weird, like we cut it off for a second, turn it back on. But you know, it's you'll be fine. It won't like destroy your day having that in there. It, it might brighten your day. Who knows? Uh, anyway, uh, we've got that. And one more thing uh, before we jump to the podcast. Uh, we have, uh, I, I got a fun one next week for you. A singer-songwriter friend stopped by the house uh, a couple weeks ago. And we've got that one for you. Um, and then we're going to do a mailbag podcast. So uh, if you got questions, comments, uh, maybe like we could do something like highlight of the year. Like your favorite moment on the podcast. Uh, send that in or questions. So that's two options. It's kind of like an end of year mailbag podcast. Podcast. So if you got a question you want something to talk about or you have like a highlight, your favorite thing from the year, uh, send it in and uh, we'll talk about that stuff. And then I'll probably take a week off or so around uh, the holidays and then we'll jump back in in January. So uh, expect like a week or so off from the podcast, but um, there's plenty of old ones. There's like 260 of these by now so I'm sure you haven't listened to every single one of them unless you're my dad in that case I will actually be with you on the holidays otherwise just go back and listen to another one while you're traveling with your friends family whatever you're doing for the holidays alright without further ado Father James Who Martin, going very New forward. York too. Does it totally fit in? Okay, that's all anybody wears in New York. I I didn't realize on the subway. That's all they say. Black, just all black. Mm-hmm. Well, because it, it hides the dirt, and it's also at you on the subway. Everyone's wearing black. Well, I feel like Take I just fit in. Yeah, you do. I'm uh, <clears throat> almost Catholic because I'm wearing all black, and I'm in New York, so I'm good to go. You're in a Jesuit office too. Yeah, I mean that's one step away. Uh, well, friends, we are like we just said in New York with uh, Father Jim Martin. Welcome back to the show. Uh, great to be back. Thanks for coming to New York. Well, I, for you, I would do that. Uh, speaking of uh, looking Catholic, the uh, few weeks ago, our neighbors, the Episcopalians across the street, invited me to come over and preach. They had a special um, uh, called St. Matthew's Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's their, their church's name, St. Matthew's. Mm-hmm. And so I got to wear the robe and preach in that. Uh, cool. I'm, I'm not going to lie. It's, like it? it's kind of nice. Well, now, what do you wear when you preach? The, uh, that I usually wear a collared shirt, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, this is pretty much the normal mm-hmm. attire. But as someone who's graduated from a seminary, you can wear, you know, you can wear the Whatever. academic robes, right? <laughs> In my tradition, not a whole lot of robes. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. but mm-hmm. uh, I guess I could. You could. So, so in Church of Christ, you would not wear. There would be no one who would be wearing a robe. Or, no. But that's interesting because a lot of Protestant denominations, they wear the black robes, right? The academic robes, right? Yeah, like more of the high church. We're, okay. we're kind of the low church version, okay. the, yeah. the less classy okay. version of the Protestants. So how did it feel wearing those robes? It was hot. <laughs> they, they need to get some dry fit ones because they're, they're kind of warm. Yeah, well, you know, in the Catholic church we wear, okay, so we wear obviously a shirt and stuff, pants obviously, and then we wear an alb, which is the yes. long white garment. And That's what o- I wore, an alb. An alb. And then over that we wear a stole, right, that sort of looks like a scarf. Yes. And a chasuble, which looks like a poncho. So sometimes it can be that's, very hot. Most times the air, churches are air-conditioned, so it's not bad. But I was in um, Kenya for a couple of years, and, you know, could get, it's like layers of polyester. 
So, so you probably lost some weight doing that. I lost a lot of weight just from not eating. But, <laughs> uh, but the, I wasn't a priest when I was over there, but uh, I wasn't ordained yet. But yeah, those guys, there'd be a lot of, a lot of cloth. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever feel like maybe I should be a Protestant just so I can wear like just a polo shirt? To- I, I think maybe I should be a Protestant a lot of times. <laughs> and I know some Catholics think I should be Protestant. But, um, <laughs> no, I think, you know, I think it's actually, a, it's like pluses and minuses. Like there's a value to the formality because it says there's something mm-hmm. special here. It's traditional. I mean, those, the robes that we wear go back to Roman times. The chasuble and a stole were worn mm-hmm. by Roman authorities. That's the drawback too, which is it's so formal it can kind of distance you from people. You mm-hmm. know, can you know you're you're literally up on a pedestal almost yeah. up in the pulpit, and that can so distance people from you and distance you from the people. So it's just like pluses and minuses. I mean, I've I've I have more or less preached, you know, dressed like I am now, which is just sort of regular clothes, you know, in different settings, and that that seems to work fine too. So yeah, do the robes go before Constantine, like all the way? So it's kind of weird. The robes um, are the robes of so. So when the church, when the the church became kind of affiliated with sort of Roman authority, they normally took on they took on what yeah. was normally kind of used for authoritative roles. Mm-hmm. The alb, I think, was kind of a, just a daily dress, almost like a tunic. Hmm. And then the chasuble and the stole were signs of, I think, like you know, like the authority of the Roman governor or something. I don't know. Really, you need to ask a church historian. If I could. Make people give me more authority. I would wear. Do you think I could just wear the the <laughs> the, chest, the, the, the stole. stole? Yeah, they didn't let me wear that. They said I'm. What would your church think if you stood in front of them one day? <laughs> what would they say? They'd Honestly, probably, they would just be happy if I tucked my shirt in. <laughs> there are some people. They probably think you put. Wouldn't they think that you're putting on airs or? Yeah, they wouldn't even know what in. to. Think we're gonna stop for a second. Yeah. Okay, come in. Hi. Hey, how are you? Sorry, Hi. that's all right. That. How yeah. are you? This is like Media Central. Hey, how you doing? This is Kirsten Hi. Powers. Hi, I'm Luke. I'm Jim. How are you? Nice to see you. Okay, we had a little interruption there, and I have no idea what we were saying beforehand. Um, we were robes? talking about robes. Robes? Yeah, and how yeah. would you feel? How would your oh, yeah, yeah, congregation yeah, yeah. feel yeah. if you just strolled in and was wearing a robe? I think that would be a fun experiment. Just one Sunday, just have that on. Like it's no, What do you think would happen? if you? I think they'd think... What the hell is up with this guy? Why <laughs> they think that already, he's though. spending too much time with Catholics. Yeah. Probably that you're putting on airs, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Um, and I think if, if, if I walked in, I don't think I could. If I walked in with even just a clerical shirt, you know, like a black shirt. Yeah, with yeah, a yeah. Color, They'd say, well, you know, what are you doing? You know, you can't, you, you shouldn't even be celebrating Mass like this. Hmm. Um, I've known priests who have, it, it's a specific Catholic thing. It looks terrible. When they're trying to be informal, they won't wear the alb. They'll just wear a stole over the jacket and tie, or the jacket and collar. It looks, yeah. It looks ridiculous. It's, no. Anyway, so, yeah, you know, I mean, it's that balance between tradition and informality, and so. But for some people, it's a sign of, like, this means this is important, and this has status, and it connects us to something bigger than ourselves. Yeah, and also but, something uh, older than ourselves, too. Yeah. So, um, I find also when I put it on, I feel differently about myself in the sense that I'm more conscious of, you know, if you're celebrating mass, just the way you move and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how you are in our, our presider class used to talk about how you are in space, meaning, you know, the way you gesture and mm-hmm. it's a little more formal and, yeah. um, so yeah. The, but, the hardest thing for me was I had to wear that and then stand behind the, the podium. Uh huh. Cause I, I just have oh, stage and nothing on yeah. there and just, uh, 
we so call that preaching in free space, just like free space, yeah. The podium, yeah. I think that's better actually for people. I do, Why do I, you think I, that? Uh, I think it's more immediate. I think it's clearly what I mean. Jesus wasn't standing <laughs> on the podium, as far as I know. Uh, I think people people have told me that when I do that, th- it just seems better for them. I think it's more uh, immediate in mm-hmm. a sense. But I can't do it. I find I have to have my. I'm just doing my homily for Sunday. I have to have notes. I just have to have. Is that it. right there? Actually, that is homily first Sunday yeah. of Advent. I have mine in my <laughs> bag right there. I printed it off before I made the trip just so I could have it with me. But I, I, I preach no notes. And uh, like I have a five-page manuscript or six-page, six for this week, uh, six-page manuscript written out, basically manuscript. And I'll just kind of like store it up there. And if I have notes in front of me, people will say one thing. If I don't, they'll say, oh, that seems like it was really from the heart. And I'm like, yeah, no, exactly. It's not from the heart. Like I memorized it, yeah. but the effect is that it seems it, more it genuine, is. which is not. It's not authentic. I mean, it's not like it's mm-hmm. your manuscript right there does not make it less. But people feel like it's more immediate. It's more personal. Although, funny enough, someone said to me once, <laughs> one of the parishioners said, "Oh, I was so glad to see you have notes in front of you." I said, <laughs> "Why is that?" And she said, "Because I know that you prepared something." Yeah, which is interesting because yeah. sometimes people think that you are. Like riffing it. Now, here's another question. How long do you... It sounds like I'm interviewing you. You're, you're, How long you're do you great. preach for? 30 minutes. Yeah, they would kill us. You they get would, 12? If that. A good... a good. Well, the old joke is in the Catholic Church, um, I, I was going to do a homily for seven minutes, but I didn't have time, so I did one in 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, the, part of it is that the Mass itself is, is mm-hmm. the... Uh, the, the, the homily is part of the mass, and so there's other stuff going yeah. on. And so, you know, even if you preach for if you preach for 30 minutes, there's another 45 minutes to go. And so I think yeah. people get nervous. But well, yeah. see, our service is typically it's more five than, songs, yeah. sermon. We take uh, sacri- we take communion every week, mm-hmm. uh, Eucharist, but that's the extent of the service. Frankly, I'd, as long as the homily's good, mm-hmm. I could go on for a half an hour. But I, usually, in the Catholic Church, if the homily is 30 minutes, it means that the person has not prepared well, and then he's just rambling. That's usually what it you means. You know, people always talk about, oh, well, if, if I preach a 12 or 10-minute sermon, I'd spend more time preparing. I never feel that way. I've, I've written a few that are that length. My Christmas Eve one will be that length this year. Interesting. And I feel like, okay, you just have to say one-third as much as you did before. Yeah. And I naturally don't, I, I say this, I feel like I, I'm not the most loquacious person preacher in the world so it will be more reticent just because of my personality but and also the other thing is what people expect i mean if they i worked in east africa for two years and they expected a 30 to 45 minute homily from yeah. the pastors out there mm-hmm. becoming catholic protestant and anything and if you didn't give it to them they felt that you were being um kind of stingy and i asked one of the i worked with refugees hmm. uh we had a the cardinal archbishop of uh, nairobi preached at this uh, refugee mass that we were having and he's talked for 45 minutes. And, you know, for me, it was just endless. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, it seemed repetitive. And one of the refugees said to me afterwards, oh, that was a wonderful homily. And I said, what did you like about that homily? I mean, I was trying to be, yeah. you know, just curious culturally. Yeah. And they said, um, he spent a lot of time with us. Isn't that interesting? Oh. Like he wasn't in a rush. So he, it was like going to someone's house. And wow, yeah. spending time with them. And talking to them. And whereas I thought as a kind of, this is too long of a homily, no one should ever preach that long. Yeah. They saw it as the Cardinal Archbishop of Nairobi is 
generous enough to spend time with us. I thought that was really mm. interesting. So different traditions. Yeah, I mean, because and everything's going to connect different mm-hmm. with different yeah, with people. With different people. It's yeah. also what they expect, too. Exactly. So, yeah. so my friend, uh, Reverend Merrill, uh, across at the, Episcopal, the Episcopal Church, he, he made a joke because he preached with me in July at my church. So mm-hmm. we did a tag team sermon. Mm-hmm. And he joked with my congregation. He goes, yeah, I listened to one of Luke's sermons. And 10 minutes in, I thought, that's a great sermon. And then 20 minutes in, I thought, that's two great <laughs> sermons. And 30 minutes, I thought, wow, Luke did three great sermons. Uh, but that's like... Well, you know, there's, there's a Catholic saying where um, the guy gets up at the beginning of the Mass and says, oh, you know, you know, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, our readings today are, and then he gives a little intro for mm-hmm. five minutes, and then he gives the homily, mm-hmm. and then at the end he'll say, you know, as we look back, blah, blah, blah. So that's, that happens in the Catholic Church. Okay, so, so I would have a place in the Catholic Church, because I could you, work it in that way. We'd be happy to have you. I don't know if my wife and my kids would be as excited about that. We'd be happy to have them, too. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm sure your church would miss you. So yeah, yeah. I, I think I'll stay where I am. Yeah. I'll uh, yeah. I'll bloom where I'm planted. Yeah, there you go. But we'll be hospitable with one another. Absolutely. And uh, yeah. dare I say, we build a bridge. Absolutely. Would that be a great title for a book? Good idea. Yeah. Unfortunately, not everyone in my uh, my side of the uh, the aisle has been that good about building a bridge. Unfortunately, not everybody on my side of the aisle <laughs> has been that good about building a bridge. Yeah, there was a story which I think you saw that there was a uh, pastor just up the road from me in Texas who. Um, Actually, he his new book is the same publisher that my first book will be through. So, congratulations! By yeah, the way. thank you. Tell me about your first book. Uh, that's going to be better than yeah. this story. Yeah, it's well, the the book is called uh, God Over Good. How mm. losing? Um, you can't remember your own subtitle. It's a year out. Okay, they, they recently changed it, but it's I know subtitles are hard to remember. Okay, it's yeah. losing your expectations to save your faith. That's great because you're like the definition of what you say a good God is. It's subjective. Like I would think there's no there should be no suffering in the world. I think the Bible should be a certain way. I think X, Y, Z. And if you want to hold on to those expectations, sometimes you're going to lose your faith. That's great. That anyway, sounds great. You'll get a copy yeah, any year. To. We'll yeah, send it over yeah. to you. But um, there was a pastor who decided to say that the Catholic Church was like the mark of the beast or something like that in a sermon mm-hmm. a month or two. Mm-hmm. Sorry That's about nice. that. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Thanks. My bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like you've got that uncle who shows up at the uh, reunion, and you can't get rid of him, but you don't want to leave your kids around him. Well, and we have people just as bad on our side who okay. say all these terrible things about Protestants and Muslims and Jews, and yeah. So I mean, it's I don't think I don't think small mindedness is really you know uh, the province of any one religion. Yeah, we you know, so no one can claim that. That's a human issue. You know, and also, who knows? I mean, I I believe that the church is 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 my best way of expressing my faith, but. It's like the old joke, the old Woody Allen joke. That's a terrible joke, but um, that um, all of us go up to heaven and God looks around at everybody and says, the right religion was <laughs> Lutheran and presses a button and everybody else goes to hell. I mean, it can't be like that. It just cannot be like that. Yeah. So anyway, but... Well, if, if it's like Jesus seemed to describe it, there are going to be people in the kingdom of heaven that you were not expecting to be in there. I was just reading um, the gos- a gospel about um, Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners and um, in Mark. And uh, it was very interesting. And I, this, is, this is actually something I've been, I've been writing about. And it did not dawn on me. I love reading these Bible commentaries that kind of blow your mind and you didn't notice that. And it said that other than um, Matthew, Levi, right, who leaves mm-hmm. his tax post to follow Jesus, the other tax collectors remain tax collectors. 
In other words, he's eating with tax collectors and they say tax even collectors. like Zacchaeus. So Zacchaeus in the Gospel of Luke who says, I will repay people. Yeah. He doesn't say I'm not going to be a tax collector. So huh. isn't that interesting? And so these people who, you know, even in Jesus' time, we'd have thought like totally sinful. He's yeah. still eating with them. And so I think, yeah, that, it's the same thing. In other words, people of Jesus' time were shocked at who he welcomed into the kingdom, right, mm-hmm. into the reign of God. And I think we'll be surprised to, when we get up to heaven and see people who we think, oh, you know, what, what is that denomination doing? <laughs> but no, I think, I mean, in terms of the expectations, I think that we need to be, you know, God is, God's mercy is much broader than we, we can ever imagine. Yeah. So. And I feel like we're all better if we learn to respect and realize that we can learn from one another. Yes. And different denominations, too. Yeah, so. for sure. And uh, that's been one of the biggest changes in my life, because I grew up in a denomination that's been pretty sectarian mm-hmm. and in the darkest corners of my denomination w- some of us still believe that we're the only ones going to heaven like baptists aren't even getting in and they're very similar to us well mm-hmm. and and in the catholic church for a long time it was um let me think of the latin nola salus extra ecclesiam you know no salvation outside the church and that meant our church mm. so and thank god for i mean the second vatican council that's you know that's changed a lot but yeah there mm. and i think there are still catholics that believe that yeah, well, so. maybe they should meet some of the Church of Christ people who think that, and they could, uh, they could yeah. play like a softball game yeah. to determine who the winner is. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. No, it really is. I think part of the thing that disturbs me about that is that, it, that it, it sort of boxes God in, and it sort of limits, to your point about expectations, it limits God's mercy. And mm-hmm. everything we see in the Gospels, that's the other thing that kills me about some of these people who say this, everything we see in the Gospels is Jesus saying, no, 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 there's not us and them, and there's not this sort of limit of who's in and who's out, I'm inviting everyone in. Yeah. You know, that, that's the thing that kills me because you would think those people of all, the people who are so kind of focused on the Bible, would mm. understand that about would Jesus. Get it. Yeah, yeah, that he's inclusive. He's, yeah. he's embracing. And the, and the people who seem to get kicked out are not the ones who think incorrectly. It's the people who don't love correctly. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, or people who are just different than we are. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. Well, uh, okay, so you wrote a book that I came did. out a few months ago. Uh, building a bridge, right? Mm-hmm. Get it right. Yeah. You have like ten copies up there that I can read from. Uh, so you write this book, and the the genesis for it was the shooting in Orlando. Mm-hmm. And as I'm reading the book, you're saying there's some 250 bishops, mm-hmm. priests who didn't even mention gay or LGBTQ uh, as they describe what took place. Right. And so that broke your heart. And you said, "I got to write a book about it." Well, First of all, why would they not even mention that community? Well, so to, yeah, to, to go a little deeper um, for people that might forget it. Uh, so the Pulse nightclub, 49 people were killed. It was a gay nightclub in Orlando. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you say, of the 250 bishops, not only did only a few mention the words LGBT or gay, but very few even said anything about it. Hmm. And you contrast that, for example, the, um, the terrible shooting what, just like a month ago now, in the church in um, Sutherland Springs? That was an hour away from us. Yeah. yeah. So the... We had, that, the Sunday after, we had one of our uh, uh, members, someone who attended, had a cousin who was in the oh. shooting and passed away. And, and it was, was it a Methodist church, is that right? Baptist, Baptist church. church. Yeah. So, so the contrast is this, so, um, which I had actually said in this book as a hypothetical. If, if, a, if a murder, mass murder had happened in a church at the time, it was hypothetical. Sadly, yeah. now it's Far real. too real. The bishops' conference would come out with a statement, as they did, saying, as they should, 
you know, we stand with our Baptist brothers and sisters. And, you know, I'm sure Catholic parishes in the area, you know, obviously, you know, expressed condolence and maybe opened up their doors to yeah. the Baptist. Yeah, sure. So the question was, in Orlando, you know, when this, these, these 49 people were killed, why, why weren't the bishops even able to say we're sorry and we express our hmm. uh, sadness? And, you know, for me, the, the inability even to say, you know, we, we, we extend our sympathies to these people or, you know, 49, it was the time, at the time it was the largest mass killing in U.S. history. Right? Wow. To me, revealed a kind of lack of empathy and a lack of sympathy. And one of the things that I've learned, I learned when I was in theology, um, which um, I think I may have said on your show earlier, is that uh, when Jesus critiques people in the Gospels, it's usually not people who are weak and trying, you know, people who are really struggling, but it's people who are strong and not bothering, Hmm. right? So like Lazarus and Dives or the Good Samaritan especially, Mm -hmm. they just don't bother to help the guy or... The rich man doesn't bother to help the poor person, no. or some of the Pharisees don't bother to, you know, uh, think that people would need healing on the Sabbath. And so, for Jesus, this is one of my theology professors, Jim Keenan. Um, sin is a failure to bother to love. Isn't wow. that great? That's just really don't good. bother. Yeah, you just don't bother. And in Orlando, it seemed like the church just kind of didn't bother. It didn't um, bother. Yeah. So I I did something on Facebook, a Facebook video, and then I was asked to give a talk. Um, at this LGBT Catholic group, and then it turned into the book. But yeah, it was the, the genesis is a long way of answering your question. The genesis was this terrible event, um, and more to the point that the Catholic Church's seeming inability to recognize these people as even like you know visible. Yeah. So the book wasn't about uh, arguing for an understanding of homosexuality or sexual ethic. It was to create conversation and empathy. Fair to yeah, say? Yeah, just to say these people exist. Mm-hmm. Um, it was more directed towards uh, the Catholic Church, but I, I try to make it you know, open to all churches. And basically to say, look, these people are baptized. They're Christians, right? I mean, they're in our churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Catechism, which is kind of the handbook for the Catholic Church, um, after the Bible, of course. Um, <laughs> it, sometimes people put it ahead of the Bible, which is kind of crazy. Um, you know, is asked to, the catechism asks us to treat these people with respect, compassion, and sensitivity. You know, obviously. And the book, which is pretty mild, basically says, like, how can we do that? You know, respect mm-hmm. would be listening to them. Uh, sensitivity is, you know, what are their hopes and desires? Compassion is to understand their pain. Mm-hmm. And vice versa, how can the LGBT community, you know, treat the Catholic Church, you know, in the hierarchy with that same respect, compassion, and sensitivity? You know, the thing that sort of surprised me about the book is that it was the, the reactions have been on both sides, like incredibly positive, like just people crying and hugging me mm-hmm. and letters and Facebook messages, uh, mainly from LGBT Catholics and their families. And then on the other side, a lot of like crazy people on the far, far, far right, just just going crazy over what's basically a fairly mild book. Yeah. Um, so it, it points out the need for conversation. But yes, it, it's really to start start a conversation. Yeah. So I was not surprised that this sort of, even if it's a, hey, let's just discern and pray for one another and learn. No, like without, listen to one another. Yeah, right? listen. Uh, be empathetic. Mm-hmm. I, even though I, that was just the message of the book, I'm not surprised that you've been uninvited from speaking events mm-hmm. and... Uh, you can be Googled and find plenty of, plenty of people who are not happy with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of disheartening. It is. It's kind of sad. 
Because the, the, the book, as I said, is totally in keeping with the Gospels. Mm-hmm. It does not talk about same-sex marriage. It doesn't talk about same-sex relations. It doesn't mm-hmm. change any church teaching. I'm not arguing for any church teaching to be changed. I'm just saying we need to listen to where these people are. And, and so many of them have been treated like dirt. Yep. And I mean like dirt. Yep. Um, I, I could tell you story after story. I, um, I think the, 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 the one that I've been using lately is uh, I get these Facebook messages now through my public Facebook page. A, um, a woman from, I'm not going to say where, but an American city said, do you know a compassionate priest in my city? Because I'm a hospice worker, and there's a man who's dying of AIDS. Excuse me, he's not AIDS. There's a man who's dying, um, and the local Catholic priest will not anoint him because he's gay. Hmm. Like, I mean, he's not, he's not in a relationship. He's, not, he's just gay. And the guy won't even come to basically give him the prayers of the dying. So, I mean, these, these poor people are treated like dirt. And that's, that's what I'm trying to get people to look at, yeah. how we're treating them. And frankly, these are the people that Jesus would have been going out to. These are the people on the margins. Yeah. There's a line from the catechism that is unjust discrimination. Yeah. I, explain, explain to me what, first of all, the catechism is the uh, kind of it's the kind guidebook. Of the, it's kind of the compendium of all the uh, teachings and also rules of the Catholic Church. For the Protestant Church, there's a book that's going to do that in a year. It's called God Over Good. It comes out next fall. <laughs> and so that's for Protestants, kind of like where the catechism right. is for you. That's um, right. I don't know if that's a selling point or not for <laughs> Protestants, but yeah. But there's a line there about the, the way that the gay community, LGBT, mm-hmm. uh, should be treated and it should not be unjust discrimination. Is right. that the right phrase? Yeah. Um, what does that mean? It's a good question, because some people say, well, what's just discrimination, right? <laughs> um, yeah, it says every sign of unjust discrimination in their regard should be avoided. So I think what the catechism means is something like, you know, employment. You know, you can't just fire people because they're gay. Um, you know, discrimination in terms of, uh, you know, housing, those kinds of things. So I think that's what they mean. The problem is that that is used... Um, against people. They say, oh no, it's, there's unjust discrimination, but there's, there's just discrimination. And so Got we it. have to mm-hmm. kick all these people out of our churches because gotcha. they're doing all sorts of things. But one of the, one of the things I, I sort of challenge people um, to think about is the way that we treat straight people in our churches. And I would say in both of our churches, we have people in our churches who are divorced, which Jesus says is wrong. I mean, yeah. in the Gospels, it's pretty clear. Mm-hmm. We have people in the Catholic Church who are divorced and remarried and have not gotten an annulment. We have people who are living together before they get married. I mean, yep. we have tons of people in the Catholic Church who, you know, c- come to church, go to communion. Yep. Uh, we have people who are using birth control, which is against Catholic teaching, who are, you know, I mean, doing all sorts of yeah. different things. And yet it's the LGBT person whose sexual life is put under a microscope. Yep. And all I'm saying to people is, look, we need to treat them the way we treat everybody else, you know, who's not completely in keeping with church teaching. Someone uh, wrote to me yesterday and said... Um, my, I'll just say, my friend um, is, uh, is, is in this relationship with this other woman. It's a, a woman in a relationship with another woman. How should I treat her? I said, well, how do you treat uh, people who are living together before they're married? And yeah. he said, well, that's different. I said, why is it different? It's, no. the, it's, it's just that we're so focused on this gay yep. stuff that we, we can't see that we are basically doing, we're, we are being discriminatory in an unjust way, I think. So we, in other words, we're all sinners. Yeah. You know, why are we focusing just on that one community and just on that one you know, sort of uh, practice? Sometimes you wonder if it's 
some sort of like shadow management, like, oh, this isn't something I struggle with, so let's right. emphasize this one because it's never going to be something that I deal with. Well, or yeah. Or maybe because I do deal with it, I'm gonna, well, and I don't want to talk about it, yeah. and I'm just going to bury that. I'm just going to magnify it so that I can do some own work I, on myself. I think, that's, I think that's accurate. I think it's a couple of things. I think it's, as you say, it's, um, you know, for straight people, it's like, well, I can condemn uh, same-sex relations because I'm not gay, yeah. and so I, I'm not going to have to worry about that. <laughs> I may I may not want to condemn divorce or premarital sex or extramarital sex as well because I might That's do on the that. table for me well, but not right. yeah. So that's the first thing. Second thing I think it is a lot of sort of people with these complicated relations with their own sexuality who are I mean I have met people at, at talks who have you know 99% of the people I you know I, I meet are very positive and the book's done very well and even cardinals and archbishops have liked it but there is that sort of small percentage and I've had people screaming at me, I mean, literally till they're red in the face. And I thought, my gosh, you know, where is this coming from? And a friend of mine, a friend of mine is a psychologist, and she said, it's their own stuff, Jim. Yeah. And, you know, I can't say that to them, no. you know, to their face. Um, and then, then, then part of it is just homophobia. People just, you know, honestly, they just don't like them. It's like some people don't like African-Americans or Latinos or yep. they just don't like them. And yeah. so, you know, it reminds me of, you probably remember the movie um, A Few Good Men? Okay. That movie with, um, yeah, with Jack Nicholson Tom and Cruise. Tom Cruise. It, right? yeah. There's a line, um, basically they're, they're investigating the beating and hazing of this soldier. Okay. In the, I think in Guantanamo and they beat him up. And the guy dies from a heart attack. And there's a line where Tom Cruise says, someone's like, well, why did they do it? Why did they do it? And I think it's in the courtroom. And they said, basically, they didn't like him. They just didn't like him. That's- and so a lot of people just don't like gay people. And so it's easy to kind of Treat them like dirt. But as I said, these are the people on the margins that Jesus asks us to go out to. These yeah. are kind of the lepers of our time, I think. Yeah. So one of the criticisms that I've read is that you didn't come out straightforward and say, this is the church's teaching on sexuality. And I've heard you say, in response to that, if, if you're in America, you've probably heard the church's teaching on that. Uh, most people know the church is believes homosexuality is a sin. Mm-hmm. Or the homosexual practices are okay. sins, right? Yes, yeah. thank you. That's probably said better than what I was trying to say. Uh, so if you would have led with that, how do you think the message of the book would have been received? Well, that's funny, because I have a revised version that's coming out mm-hmm. where I have the entire teaching of the church in like two pages, like here it is, basically. Where do you, hold up, where do you find the entire church's teaching on any... Do you guys have uh, that written down? Well, in the catechism, I mean, yeah. there's like three paragraphs on homosexuality. It's, it's very limited. Um, and the three points are um, homosexuality is a disorder. It's an intrinsic disorder, a little you know, moral theology term. Uh, homosexual acts are always wrong. Obviously, same-sex marriage is therefore wrong, but homosexual people should be accepted with, again, respect, sensitivity, and compassion, and there shouldn't be any discrimination, and they should lead, lead chaste lives. Um, you know, a couple of reasons I didn't bring that in. One... The, the, the LGBT community and the, in the hierarchy is just too far apart on those issues. The hierarchy, you know, uh, accepts that totally. The LGBT Catholic community, they don't accept that. They don't accept that they're intrinsically disordered. They, they think that they should be able to have sex and marry, m- many of them. So I didn't want to start, if you're building a bridge, you don't start like the two furthest shores, basically. Actually, I'm just, that's a good metaphor. You start, yeah. you start on the shores that are kind of closer, mm-hmm. which I'd use that metaphor in the book. You will <laughs> find that once your book is out, you'll say, oh, I should have put that in. <laughs> Maybe I'll put that in my yeah, book. <laughs> yeah. Second, um, everybody knows it. There's not one LGBT person in the Catholic Church who doesn't know what the church teaches. So that, mm-hmm. that I, I think that is a ridiculous argument. Yeah. Um, and then third, um, 
you know, I'm not a moral theologian. And I also wanted to focus on areas of real commonality. Yeah. But the other, the other um, analogy is this. Imagine if you were giving a talk, if you or I were giving a talk to uh, kids in college. Now, we all know that most college students are sexually active. Mm-hmm. You know, every talk that you gave to um, a group of college kids doesn't have to include something about sex. Yeah. You might talk to them about career advice, vocation, mm-hmm. friendship. And yet, that's the, that's the irony. Every single book about the LGBT Catholic has to be about sex. And so mm. I was trying to avoid that. But in the new book, I said, look, I'm not afraid of the teaching. Here it is. Here it is yeah. you know, so. And so the prescription from the church is, if this is your orientation, if this is who you are, then you need to live a chaste life. Right. That's that, completely celibate. Right. That's harder for me to say because I'm married and... There's a sense of well, that's easy for you to say, Luke, since you're never going to have to do that. As a priest, someone who's chosen or who's had this calling, what is the right language there? That's right. Yeah, as a vocation of the priesthood, right? Yeah. yeah. Is it easier for you to say this is what you're called to do because imitate me as I'm imitating Paul? Yeah. No, that's that. I actually, that's funny you should say that. I I don't think I'd say it in that way because I think each person has their own vocation, basically. Mm-hmm. Like just do it because I can do it. Um, I think there's a couple different levels that I, I use when I'm, wor- I'm working with LGBT Catholics. First, the Gospels. So basically, look at how Jesus is. Look at how Jesus accepts people on the margins. Look at how Jesus accepts you. Look at how Jesus goes out specifically to people on the margins. Second, uh, the catechism and church teaching over the, over the you know, years. Look at, look at what the Catholic Church says. But third um, is uh, your conscience. I mean, you really hmm. do need to listen to your conscience and in terms of how you live out your life. And I saw a quote even from Cardinal Ratzinger, a.k.a. Pope Benedict, who said that, once again, the, the, the Catholic teaching is, I'm not, I'm not sure how it is in your church, you're, the conscience is the highest moral hmm. arbiter. Like that's finally, an informed conscience, a conscience that knows the Gospels and sort of understands church teaching. That is, that's hmm. the final sort of authority. And that's what I have to tell people, because well, that's church teaching. But in the past 30 or 40 years, that teaching about, the con- about conscience has really kind of been lost, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah we, we've never... I, I've never heard that before. We don't talk about that. We would say the Bible is the final authority. Mm-hmm. And I would assume you would say the conscience informed by the Bible. By the, by the Gospels, right. Sure. Yeah. And church and tradition. Yeah. 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 We don't talk about tradition as much. Yeah. Um, to our detriment, We have a lot of, of tradition. Yeah, yeah, you do. Um, <laughs> Okay, speaking of the uh, rats and the former pope, mm-hmm. the current pope, when asked about um, LGBT, said, um, what was the line? Who am, Who I, am to I, ju- I to judge? Yeah. Which seems to be the answer is the pope. You're the pope. You're allowed to. <laughs> well, that's the key. And I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your question. No, right, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, that's the key. Even he says that. And really, you know, it's so in keeping with the gospel. Jesus says, judge not. I, I never understand why that's so hard for people to get. Jesus yeah. says, judge not. Now, that doesn't mean... We're not going to be judged, but God does the judging, or Jesus yeah. does the judging at the last judgment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the Pope was basically just kind of reiterating what is, you know, Christian teaching, that we're not supposed to judge people. People freaked out about that. By the same token, that was very helpful for a lot of LGBT Catholics who had felt hmm. so um, judged and so marginalized and so excluded. Those five words, I think, really changed things for because? people. Because? Because they finally heard someone who was trying to treat them with dignity, and he was asked specifically about LGBT people, and he didn't come out and say, intrinsically disordered, objectively disordered, you're terrible, you know, 
you're sinful, turn away from your sin. He's saying, who am I to judge? That's, a, that's just a different pastoral attitude, I think. Yeah. And they just, and, and you know, this is a guy who, um, he also, he has a gay friend. Um, he met with his gay friend and the man's partner when he was here in the United States. He's used the word gay. No pope has ever used the word gay. No. Why no. not? Because they use these terms like same-sex attracted or homosexuals or... But Francis is clearly someone who knows LGBT people, and I think that that, that really goes a long way. Uh, and he's appointed uh, cardinals and archbishops and bishops who have been much more welcoming. Hmm. I mean, really, the, um, the, archbishop, the, the cardinal archbishop of Newark, which is uh, right outside of New York, had a welcoming mass for LGBT Catholics, which that would have never happened five years ago before the Pope. Never in a million really? years. Really? No, Never. I mean, a specific mass for that community at the Catholic cathedral where the cardinal himself came and he said, I am Joseph, your brother. It's like this great sense of kind of welcome. So things are changing. Now, that's not in every part of the church. Yeah. There's still parts that are really kind of hostile to even thinking about this. But basically all the book is saying is we need to listen to one another. That's it. Mm. I mean, what do you do on like a practical issue like... Um so in our church, we would have baby blessing, which would take the place, not technically, of course, but we do adult baptism, adult baptism but we right. do blessings mm-hmm. for babies. And so one of the questions is, uh, can you bless the child of a gay relationship? Mm-hmm. I don't know what the equivalent would be in your world. No, that's right, a baptism. Yeah, um, baptism, yeah. yeah. That actually happens more often than you would think, that the idea is you don't punish the child. Yeah. And that's, I think... I think the the thing is it happens more in in bigger cities because the the parents themselves feel more comfortable going to the church. Do you know what mm, I'm saying? So yeah. if you're not even comfortable, if the couple is not even comfortable going to the church, they mm. wouldn't bring their kid there. Yeah. But that that does happen. I mean, yeah. that, that's it's a lot more common than people would think. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Now, what happens in your church? What happens if a uh, same sex couple presents themselves with a the child? Uh, I might be editing this out yeah, uh, after my edit, You can edit it. But uh, like I'm I, just curious. No, I would think your your response is right. I mean, who's going to think that it's wrong to bless a baby? To, no. I mean, a baptism is like initiation into the right. church. Right. Um, but a, a blessing, a, we pray God's blessing over yeah. a baby. How can you ever be against that? Yeah, I know. And also, you know, I heard one of the saddest stories I heard recently was um, this uh, mother called me and said that her child is transgender. Okay, now I know very little about that whole phenomenon. Mm-hmm. I, but my, my general attitude is, look, I mean, the, these poor kids, and these poor, it must be very difficult, whatever they're going through, of course. to be confused and uh, conflicted and all this. So the child is transgender and is, you know, dressing up a certain way, I guess. And uh, the local pastor refused to let the child um, go to religious education. And I, I couldn't believe it. And I said, you are, I mean, I don't care what the kid dresses up like you're preventing a child from learning about jesus i mean how in any world is that good and i probably the kid who needs to know most that god loves him or her yeah so that's the kind of stuff that i hear all the time and it's just it just kills me and i i think 50 years from now we're gonna look back and say what were we doing with these poor people yeah so it's no wonder they're they're leaving the church they're mad at the church they're they feel excluded and the other thing is, you know, I, I, I point out in the next version of the book, um, it's a life issue. Uh, LGBT kids are five times more likely to attempt suicide. Yeah. So I, I've heard numbers that it's 
even higher than that, yeah. like 20 times. Yeah. No, I, I don't know exactly how to verify the stats, but it's a, a substantially harder existence. Yeah, and so why, how, how could we think that God's not asking us in a special way to reach out to these people? Now, I mean, I know, you know it's difficult for especially the Catholic Church because of its positions, but we got to try. Yeah. That's the point of the book. Yeah. Uh, so Paul has this statement, I guess 1 Corinthians 7-ish, where he says it's best for y- y'all to remain single, or to, to remain single as I am, which I know that's a big verse for you. You've got that one memorized better than I do <laughs> for obvious reasons. But then he says, for some of you, uh, because you will burn, it's better to get married than to burn with passion. Something like that. You yeah. know the verse. Yeah, 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 yeah. When some hear the church's prescription okay, you need to be celibate. Uh, if you're a gay man, church is not endorsing you to marry another gay man, so you should be celibate. How would you read that text in light of uh, that situation? Well, that's a good point. I mean, I think, first of all, we have to remember, as you, you know, that Paul was, as most of them were thinking, that Jesus was going to come back again. And yep. so a lot of this was like short term. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't need to be taking wives, and we're, we're, we need to... You know, and those of you who are single, don't worry about getting married because Jesus is coming back. Yep. So we have to see it in that context. We also have to see it in another historical context that the idea of homosexuality and same-sex unions as we know, that, that just didn't exist back then. I mean, mm-hmm. I assume that there were you know, people who were same-sex attracted and all that, but they just didn't have that. They didn't have sort of stable monogamous couples where you know, people were mature and able to make a choice and living with one another. Okay. So I think part of it is understanding in its historical context. The other thing is, you know, we tend to look at only certain things from Paul, or even from Leviticus, and say, well, these, look look what the Bible says. And the other stuff we kind of like brush aside, like, what about yeah. usury? Yeah. You know, or what about divorce? Divorce is the big one I always, you know, and that's Jesus, Jesus himself that's Jesus, says yeah. no divorce. But then we say, oh, well, we, we need to understand that in a different way, because people's lives are more complex. That's the thing. That's the unjust discrimination. The straight person gets the sort of contextualized, historicized understanding of Scripture. The LGBT person gets letter of the law. Yeah. So... I think consistency is one of the biggest yeah. issues for the church. Yeah. And if and it's sad. I mean, do you know the famous Dr. Laura Schlesinger letter? Do you know that? Uh, doctor, uh, yeah, yeah. You remember Dr. Laura? I'm going to look it up for you. You can edit this part out. Why don't we take a, a break for a second? No, we're all right. We're just, well, it may be literally. Like, literally. It, it might take him some time. So in the meantime, let me tell yeah. your listeners about my book. Uh, it comes out <laughs> <Right>. next fall. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, so I'll just say Dr. Laura... This is if you if you don't know this, uh, um, you'll love it. Okay, Doctor Laura was, as you know, a sort of a radio yep. commentator, and um, she's like a Doctor Phil of her time. Yeah, and she said that basically um, it's a little long, but it's really funny. Okay, do you mind? Let's go for it. So she said that basically people cannot be uh, active homosexually because of Leviticus. You're gonna love you're gonna love this, especially coming okay. from your tradition, and so. Um, This guy wrote to her. It is one of the most brilliant letters in terms of rhetoric. Dear Dr. Laura, thank you so much for doing so much to educate people regarding God's law. I've learned a great deal from your show. That's her radio show. Mm -hmm. And I try to share that knowledge with as many people as I can. When someone tries to defend the homosexual lifestyle, for example, I simply remind them that Leviticus 18.22 clearly states it to be an abomination. End of debate. I do need some advice, however, regarding some other elements of God's <laughs> law, exactly, and how to follow them. Going. Number one, Leviticus 25.44 states that I may possess slaves, both male and female, providing they are from neighboring countries. A friend of mine claims this applies to Mexicans, but not to Canadians. Can you clarify? May I own a Canadian? 
Two, I would like to sell my daughter into slavery as sanctioned by Exodus 21.7. In this day and age, what do you think a fair price for her would be? <laughs> Three, I know that I am not allowed no contact with a woman while she is in her period of menstrual uncleanness, Leviticus 15.19-24. The problem is, how do I tell? I've tried asking, but many women take offense. <laughs> Four, when I burn an altar, a bull, a bull on the altar as a sacrifice, I know it creates a pleasing odor for the Lord, Leviticus 1.9. The problem is my neighbors. They claim the odor is not pleasing to them. Should I smite them? <laughs> Five, I love this. I have a neighbor who insists on working on the Sabbath. Exodus 35.2 clearly states he should be put to death. Am I obligated to kill him myself or should I ask the police to do it? <laughs> so I will, I will skip a few, but the best is the last. Number 10, this is my favorite. My uncle has a farm. He violates Leviticus 19.19 by planting two different kinds of crops in the same field as does his wife by wearing garments made of two different kinds of thread, cotton polyester. He also curses and blasphemes a lot. Is it really necessary that we go to all the trouble of getting the whole town together to stone them, as Leviticus 24, 10 to 16 says? Couldn't we just, as Leviticus 20:14 says, burn them to death at a private family affair like we do with people who sleep with their in-laws? <laughs> I know that you have studied these things extensively and thus enjoy considerable expertise. Thank you again for reminding us that God's word is eternal and unchanging. <laughs> so the point is, like, of course, we look at these things in an historical context, you know, and we, we say, obviously, you know, this is meant mm -hmm. in a different time. We understand it in terms of the, the Hebrew people. We need to do the same thing with homosexuality, you know, yeah. just, just to give it a little context for these poor people. Yeah, no, that's good. So that's a great, that's a great, I love that, Dr. Laura. Letter. That's a good, I mean, it's a great yeah. letter. It's yeah. very fitting. Mm -hmm. Well, let's end on one thing. Um, you talked about birth control as a sin. I think that's easy for priests who don't have to do bedtime with three kids mm -hmm. at night. I feel like maybe there should be like a sensitivity of what it's like to have multiple children, and then let's revisit the birth control. I think that, I think you're accurate. And I think <laughs> that most Catholic families have made that same decision. What, what honestly, I'm, I would not joking around anymore. What is the actual? The actual teaching is that in the Catholic Church is that birth control is a sin. Okay, so if you take a pill or if you mm -hmm, any kind of birth control, like if a woman has her tubes tied or a man has a vasectomy, uh -huh. that's uh -huh. that's off yep. limits too. So what's what's happened? What 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 has happened in the kind of the on the ground basically? Uh, Humani Vitae, which is the letter in 1968 that said that basically birth control was a sin which sort of ratified it, um, has really, I think, by most Catholic families, most Catholic uh, you know, couples, has not been accepted theologically. Okay. They have not accepted it. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say a great number of Catholic families, if not the majority, practice birth control. Um, and then it's up to them, again, in their conscience. That, that's the perfect example of conscience, to say, yeah. what do you think? Understanding the Gospels, understanding church teaching, and, and in the light of, you know, your faith in the Holy Spirit, uh, what, what decision do you make? What's your moral decision? Gotcha. And, and so the priest also has to respect those people's consciences. You mm. know? So it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pastoral art, I think. So there's a respect for the Spirit's work in their own absolutely. discernment and of the it. conscience, right. And the, the conscience is the language. Yeah, absolutely. Huh. That seems far less hierarchical than many people kind of assume. That's very true. Your church, and that's true, and that's that's what Francis is doing. He's trying to remind people of what we would call the the pastoral application. Hmm. There's the there's the rule, there's the ideal, and then there's the how is it really applied pastorally. And he has a document that came out that was really um, shocking to a lot of people called Amoris Laetitia, the Joy of Love, and he talks about conscience. He talks about conscience, particularly in terms of 
the, the big issue was divorce and remarried Catholics who mm -hmm. had, had their marriages annulled. And he, he said, you know, trust your conscience. That really has shocked a lot of people. Wow. He's being pastoral. Yeah. Very interesting. Now, I know last time we talked, we discussed that you were brought in to consult for his social media. Did you go to the Vatican for that? Uh, I did not. Um, I was named, I'll show you the letter, actually. I was oh. named a consultant. It's actually kind of a fun letter. A consultant for the... For the Secretariat of Communications, which is basically the Department of Communications. Okay, so you're kind of like the Twitter guy for the Pope. Not uh, at all. <laughs> kind of like that. I'm like one of the guys that may or may not be asked to consult. Okay. But last time I had a suggestion, or at least just a simple request as a friend, like to get him to at least, I'm not saying he has to follow me or even retweet me, but maybe just a like. Just get a, a like from the Pope. shocking that he would not. Yeah, I don't know why he hasn't, but maybe. I think it's clear, it's a clear case of, uh, you know, anti-Protestantism. Yeah, exactly. So here's the letter. Your, your viewers, your listeners can't oh, see it. But okay, it's, it's, kind a, of, it's a, like an official it's, envelope. It's kind of fun. You ready? Okay. Well, I don't know too many Church of Christ people. Though. Let's. I'm gonna. How about this? We'll record this on an Instagram video, and I'll post this. Opening that up. Let's do that. All right. Okay. Okay. So we're gonna end the podcast, and then I'm gonna record that as a Instagram video. Okay. Hey, this has been fun. It's great to see you. Thanks for friend. making time hey, for me. My pleasure. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned. <laughs>